Again, Merry Christmas, everyone. Today's text is John chapter 3, verses 15 through 18. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believes on him is not condemned, but he that believes not is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Amen. Jack Lucas was born in North Carolina on February 14, 1928. He was only 10 years old when his father, a tobacco farmer, died and his mother sent him away to military school for education. Jack was big for his age. He always was. And so by the age of 14, he was already standing at 5'8 and weighing in at 180 pounds. And so this helped him get away with a lie in 1942, when after the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor in 1941, he enlisted into the Marine Corps by saying he was 17 and by forging his mother's signature on the age waiver. Then, on February 19, 1945, Lucas participated in the 5th Division's landing on Iwo Jima with C Company, 1st Battalion, 26 Marines. On February 20th, Lucas and three other Marines were patrolling and were attacked by Japanese with active gunfire who threw two grenades directly in front of Lucas's comrades. Lucas yelled after he saw the grenades and dived on top of the grenades. He shoved one grenade into the ash, putting his body over it, and then grabbed the second grenade and put himself over it as well. One out of two grenades detonated. But somehow, miraculously, Lucas survived. He eventually had to undergo 21 different surgeries, And for the rest of his life, there remained some 200 pieces of metal shrapnel in his body, which sometimes set off airport metal detectors whenever he went on a trip. Now, for his courage and sacrifice, President Truman made him the youngest recipient of the Medal of Honor at the age of 17. And as much as this world talks about and sings about love, I think the most lasting impressions of love still come from actions. As they say, actions indeed do speak louder than words. Out of love for his country and his fellow Marines, Jack Lucas threw himself on top of two grenades. I don't know too many people who would do such a thing. One simply doesn't need to say much after doing something like that. Again, the actions speak far louder than words. And seeing that Christmas Eve is now upon us, the question all around the world this morning is why did Jesus come? And in what is perhaps the most famous 
gospel verse in the entire Bible, John 3.16, God proclaims to the world that Jesus came into this world because God so loved the world. Or perhaps you've been raised in the church and this notion of God's love sounds boring to you. And assigned with the task of preaching this morning on Christmas Eve on the theme of love, I found myself struggling to some degree with inciting the love of God within my own heart. And I asked myself, why is that? And I realized that if I'm that way, many of you are probably that way this morning as well. Perhaps you're so accustomed to it that both the birth of Christ and the resurrection of Christ mean very little to you. And perhaps appreciation for God's love has dimmed in your heart. We all know Christians are not unique in celebrating Christmas. And it might sound odd for some of us here today because we're thinking Christmas is a Christian holiday. But in a recent study by Pew Research Center, 9 in 10 Americans reported celebrating Christmas. So 90% of Americans celebrate this holiday. Christians are not unique. For many, the festivities are increasingly based on culture instead of Christianity. Only, in fact, only little more than half of U.S. adults, 55%, said that they mark Christmas as a religious holiday. And that number is declining. It was 58% just four years ago. But what is going on when Christians also begin celebrating Christmas in virtually a cultural way? Now, I know for most of us sitting here, we're we're in church this morning, so I get it. We're not really celebrating it in merely a cultural way. For us, it is religious, or else we wouldn't be here. But you know what I mean. What if the grand love of God is all but gone in our own hearts? If Christmas is simply another holiday and merely an excuse for getting a day off to see blinking lights or far-off family members or exchanging gifts or dreading the exchange of gifts because we know we now have to purchase it for others, I think at that point we've sort of lost the reason for the season. And I, as I was writing this message, asked myself, why? And I think the reason that we begin losing sight for the reason for this season is because we've lost sight of what is at stake. I think about Jack Lucas, the young Marine. Think about his story for a second. The one who jumped on top of two grenades in order to save the lives of his fellow Marines. I can guarantee you that those fellow Marines appreciated his act of love for the rest of their lives. No question asked. The President of the United States, on behalf of the American people, was so grateful that he bestowed upon him the highest honor for valor. Why was the President so grateful? Why was the nation so grateful? They were grateful because they knew what was at stake. They knew what would have happened if Jack hadn't jumped on those grenades. And on a bigger scale, the president knew 
that America had won the war only because of such heroic acts. Jack Lucas was a microcosm of the greater American nation. And the president knew what was at stake. And I believe that in like manner, but on a much greater scale, today's text reminds us of God's love, but it does so by reminding us of what is or was at stake. In order to truly appreciate the love of God, in order to truly appreciate what might be the most played out verse in the entire Bible, John 3.16, we need to first understand and appreciate what was at stake. Or to put it another way, in order to understand and appreciate the good news, we must first understand, accept, and appreciate what would have happened if Jesus never died. We must first know what was at stake and where we would be headed if Jesus was never born. And so what was at stake? Heaven or hell? Reconciliation with God? Those were the things that were at stake. And some of you are walking around this morning with an empty, searching, heavy heart, even on Christmas Eve. And as beautiful as these decorations are, they can never fill the void that you're looking for because that void is only filled by God. I want to tell you that God is the answer for your search. Years ago, Jonathan Edwards, one of America's most prominent theologians, said it well when he said, God is the highest good of the reasonable creature. The enjoyment of God is our proper and is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. To go to heaven fully to enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here on earth. Better than fathers, mothers, husbands, wives, or children, or the company of any or all earthly friends. These are but shadows, but the enjoyment of God is the substance. These are but scattered beams, but God is the sun. These are but streams, but God the fountain. These are but drops, but God is the ocean. Friend, by giving Jesus, God gave us himself, the very ocean of joy unspeakable. Now, let us look in the text and see how all of this is unraveled by John. In John chapter 3, Jesus is having a conversation with a Jewish leader named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, and he had diligently searched the Scriptures for the pathway to eternal life. And maybe some of you this morning are in the same situation. You've lived a long time, and you're still searching for the pathway to eternal life. You know that time is ticking. And although most Pharisees were enemies of Christ, Nicodemus was a secret follower of Christ. He comes to Jesus one night because he doesn't want to come during the day and be discovered. And their conversation that night goes on to become one of the most powerful dialogues in all of human literature. John 3.16 is a treasured verse because it gives Christians the assurance of salvation. 
No other one, no other place on this planet can give you what John 3.16 provides. It is a very simple verse to memorize. But if the Bible is truly God's Word, then John 3.16 unequivocally declares that if you are sitting here and savingly believing in Jesus Christ, that you will not perish in hell after you die. And I know of no matter that's more important than the matter at hand. Just as Jack Lucas knew what would happen if the grenade went off, we also know what will happen if we die without Christ. There's only one way to heaven, and that is through an active faith in Jesus Christ. Now, throughout the ages, humanity has sought to work its way up to God. It is believed that the word religion comes from the Latin word religare, which means literally to tie or bind back to. Think of the word ligament. It ties or binds back to. And what this shows is that humans instinctively know that there is a separation between themselves and the Creator. Whether you go to the, the jungles of South America somewhere and you meet tribes, or you look at the Native Americans, or you go to Western Europe, wherever you go, humans innately know that there is a separation between themselves and the Creator. And hence, they've created religion. Various different religions in order to work themselves back to a right standing with God. But whereas every world religion has humanity tirelessly working up to the divine, John 3.16 declares that in Christianity, God comes down to us. It's almost as if he looks at all of our works and our efforts to try to get to God, and he sees them as filthy worthless rags, and he says, you can't do it. No matter how hard you try, you cannot be sinless enough in order to make it into heaven on your own steam. And so that is why I am sending my own son down to you. And so unlike Islam's five pillars, the God of the New Testament laid down his own life for others. Twice in verses 15 and 16, Jesus said, Whosoever, and that means anyone sitting here today, anyone who believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. Do you believe that this morning? This was a radical concept for Nicodemus because up until that point, salvation was pretty much exclusive to the nation of Israel. And I know just a few weeks ago, Donald Trump, President Trump, declared Jerusalem now the capital of Israel. First time in many, many years that the U.S. has recognized that. This small nation was exclusively the, the point of salvation for many years. Now God, through Christ, was making salvation available to all. Heaven would now be available to anyone who believes in the gospel. And so God's unearnest desire is not to condemn the world. But as verse 17 states, God's desire is to save the world. Muhammad cannot save you. Buddha cannot save you. Only Jesus Christ can save. And as Jack Lucas showed us by diving on those grenades... Actions speak louder than words. God so loved the world. How much did God love the world? 
God so loved the world that He gave His own one and only begotten Son. So what would have happened if God did not give up His Son? What if there was no Christmas to celebrate? And I know some of you are like, well, Christmas is not the historical date of Jesus' birth. I get it. That's not the reason why I celebrate it. I celebrate the holiday just to recognize that He came. The important thing is not when, but the fact that He did. Amen? But what if there was no Christmas to celebrate? Well, if we look at the Bible, the Bible says that whosoever believes in Him should not perish then the answer is abundantly clear. Whoever does not shall perish. And this is not talking about a physical death. All humans die. This is talking about hell. An eternal death that is unpopular to talk about nowadays. But Jesus tells Nicodemus, an expert in Jewish law, that it is a reality. An eternal death that is parallel to the eternal life spoken of in verses 15 and 16. Again, what if God never gave us His Son? Well, if you look at verse 18 closely, it contains a very important word. The word already. Do you see it there? Jesus says that whoever does not believe in Him is condemned already. Now you might be thinking, how could Jesus say such a thing? You might even ask, will God send people to hell if they've never heard the gospel? Those are difficult questions, no doubt. But the text is clear. God does not send anyone to hell for not hearing the gospel. God sends people to hell because they're guilty as sinners. Ignorance is never a valid plea in any court of justice. God is a God of perfect justice And in fact, the Bible says no one is truly ignorant. And therefore, those who do not have their sins atoned for stand condemned already. They don't have to wait until Judgment Day to find out the verdict. Now, we could sit here and complain how that's not fair. Or we could recognize the need and begin sharing Jesus with the world. And this is why, friends, that we know so many missionaries have, out of love, left behind all the comforts of America in order to tell the world about Jesus. Because they know what is at stake. They actually believe Jesus when He says, already. And they love others because God has first loved them. And it is this love that compels them to sacrifice everything for the sake of Christ. Jesus loved the ugly. He loved the prostitute, the sinner, the guilty. And most amazingly, Jesus loved us. Do you wake up some mornings and and you're baffled by the fact that Jesus loves you? He loves me. A sinner like me. Jesus loved us. So the trailer for the new movie Paul that's coming out and it opens with that famous verse that this is a trustworthy saying that Christ came into this world to die for sinners of whom I am chief. What an amazing grace that God would send his son to die for a wretch like me. While we were enemies of God 
Jesus dove on top of the grenade of God's wrath for us. Or as Romans 5, 8 states, God shows his radical love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's on another level. We could understand a Marine diving on a grenade for his fellow Marines, but can you understand or even wrap your mind around the concept of diving on top of a grenade for your enemy's sake? That is what Jesus did for us. As I close this morning, I want to give you a true story so that this doesn't remain in the abstract for you. Five years ago, on the 100th year anniversary of the sinking of the Titanic, BP News ran an article entitled, As the Titanic Sank, He Pleaded, Believe on the Lord Jesus. I'm going to read an excerpt of this article. It's a little lengthy, but... but I cut it just enough. I, I, I feel as if I have to include everything that I'm going to read to you for you to understand the full picture. So I'm going to read an excerpt of it to you. Listen carefully. When pastor and preacher John Harper was six, and his six-year-old daughter boarded the Titanic, it was for the privilege of preaching at one of the greatest churches in America, Moody Church in Chicago, named for its famous founder, Dwight L. Moody. The church was anxiously waiting his arrival, not only because of the pending services, but to meet their next pastor. Harper planned to accept their invitation. Harper was known as an engaging preacher, and he had pastored two churches in Glasgow and London. When the Titanic hit the iceberg, Harper successfully led his daughter to a lifeboat. Being a widower, he may have been allowed to join her. But instead, he forsook his own rescue, choosing to provide the masses with one more chance to know Christ. Harper ran person to person, passionately telling others about Christ. As the water began to submerge the unsinkable ship, Harper was heard shouting, women, children, and the unsaved into the lifeboats. Rebuffed by a certain man at the offer of salvation, Harper gave him his own life vest, saying to him, You need this more than I do. Up until the last moment on the ship, Harper pleaded with people to give their lives to Jesus. The ship disappeared beneath the deep, frigid waters, leaving hundreds floundering in its wake with no realistic chance for rescue. Harper struggled through hypothermia, to swim to as many people as he could, still sharing the gospel. And he eventually would lose his battle with hypothermia, but not before giving many people one last glorious gospel witness. Four years later, after the tragedy, at at a Titanic survivors meeting in Ontario, Canada, one survivor recounted his interaction with Harper in the middle of the icy waters of the Atlantic. He testified that he was clinging to the ship debris when Harper ran up to him, twice challenging him with a biblical invitation to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. He rejected the offer once, yet given the second chance, and with miles of water beneath his feet, the man gave his life to Christ. Then, as Harper succumbed to his watery grave, the new believer was rescued by a returning lifeboat. As he concluded his remarks at the Ontario Ontario meeting of survivors, he simply stated, I am the last convert of John Harper. 
And when the Titanic set sail, there were delineations of three classes of passengers. Yet immediately after the tragedy, the White Star Line in Liverpool, England, placed a board outside its office with only two classes of passengers reading, known to be saved and known to be lost. The owners of the Titanic had simply reaffirmed what John Harper already knew. There are people who know Christ and will spend eternity with God in heaven, and many others who will not. And Vandenberg Chapel Christmas Eve this morning, I can't believe that this is remarkably already my last sermon for the year 2017. My, how time flies. And much like my call to ordination, I rejoice greatly when I was called to serve as a chaplain in the United States Air Force. The work is for the Lord, and therefore it is of immense worth. And in today's text, Jesus says, Believes on him is not condemned, but he that believes not is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. I hope to always believe in those words myself. John Harper's story challenged me. I wonder, do I believe in Christ? Do I believe in Christ so much that if I were to face similar circumstances, would I have such a reservoir of God's love within my own heart that I would give up my own life vest for someone who was not saved? Harper loved, Harper believed, and so Harper gave. And in that sense, the minister followed the example given to us by God himself. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Merry Christmas, everyone. And may the love of God radically fill your hearts this morning. Let us pray. Father, thank you so much for giving us Jesus. For reminding us that this morning is all about the gift of a Savior, 